we need to get something done in this space. We need funding for our industry. We need funding for California's transportation infrastructure. And what are we going to do? And uh, I said, well, we're not doing this alone. I'm going to tell you how difficult this is going to be. And we need labor support. You know, our union partners have to be in this. Uh, We're going to need the support of the safety community. This is going to be the biggest lift that our industry has ever undertaken together in the state of California. And there's still no guarantee it's going to happen. And it's going to take a lot of money. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation. In this episode today, I had the opportunity to interview Emily Cohen, the Executive Vice President of United Contractors Association. And UConn is really one of the largest construction associations in the country here in the United States, and they do some pretty remarkable things. And I thought it would be great to learn from Emily, who has a history of really creating some great coalitions through people who would not normally come together. And she does it by creating a high trust environment. And so I thought we would learn some great things. And here's some things I think that you are going to hear during this episode. So number one key for Emily uh, shared is that you got to really care. You can't fake it. You got to You got to really care about people. And then they will care about you and what you're trying to do. And uh, she said, it takes time. You know, you got to build relationships and that takes time. You got to put in the time. Uh, You're going to empower your team. So you can't do this all on your own. You need other people and you've got to have all these people working together. And that takes empowerment. Go first. So sometimes you you may not be liking the person so much. There may be conflict, but somebody's got to go first. It may as well be you. I love that she talked about do what's right for everyone. Uh, And you get your power from really doing what's right for everyone. Then she talked about being transparent and open. And as you really go up and uh, become more well-known or you become higher up in your organization, a lot of times you don't get told things. And so the more open and transparent you can be that atmosphere, the more you're going to know what's going on so that you can steer and empower your people. And uh, she also talked about how You need to know who holds all the marbles, who holds the marbles. So that's really dealing with power. I think you're going to love this episode. Let's jump in and listen to Emily. Hey, 
Hi, this is Sue Dyer, and welcome to Lead with Trust. This episode is with Emily Cohen, and I interviewed Emily, and she is just one of my favorite people. She's delightful, and you're going to hear Emily talk about the United Contractors Association, where she is the executive vice president. And listen, because you're going to hear an organization and leaders that actually operate as high trust, high performing leaders. And I think this is a great example for everyone to listen up and hear how culture and how these tenants of high trust are living out within the association. And she also talks about uh, how she has used this high trust culture to create some really remarkable legislation for the for the construction industry, and uh, and has helped to raise ninety billion dollars. So uh, I think it's really important lesson for all of us to have examples. And so I think she's a great example of trusted leadership. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to another episode of Lead with Trust. And today I'm so excited to have Emily Cohen here. She is one of my favorite people in the world. And she is definitely a shaker and mover in the construction industry. And we're going to tap into her wisdom today and learn a little bit about, you know, how she does this magical stuff. So welcome, Emily. Hi, Sue. I'm so happy to be here. And right back at you as far as being one of my favorite people and just an inspiration on a number of levels for me and for uh, a lot of people out there, I think, in our industry. Thank you. You're so kind. Thank you. I ask everybody this crazy question. So what, what group did you hang out with in high school? Ah, well, I lit, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So I knew this question was coming, <laughs> full disclosure, and I thought about it. I had a range of friends, well, blessed with you know lots of different friends, including in high school. Um, but one thing I, I think is really interesting uh, is that I have had some of the, my best friends, the same friends since third grade and including my two best friends. But I have about a dozen friends that I have been close with since elementary school through junior high, through high school. And to, you know, even today, all these years later with our families and through marriages and kids and all of that, we are all still very, very good friends. So um, I had a great group of friends in high school. What group was it? I think it ranged from some you know popular kids to the intellectuals to leadership development. Um, I was an athlete in high school, so kind of range. I'm it sounds sure sort of like uh, I, I love the idea that you kept your friends. So you know, that longevity, that feeling of connectedness you get that you you know that sometimes you lose when you lose those friends or you outgrow friends. That does happen too. Yeah, it does, and that's a natural part of life. But it is so. Long-term friends, lifelong friends are more like family. It's like if you met them today, would you have a connection? Would you be friends? Maybe, maybe not. But when you've known somebody your entire life, it's just kind of an incredible an incredible relationship, an incredibly unique relationship. Yeah, my two best friends in the world, I've traveled all over the world with them. I've been through highs and lows with them. We have been best friends since we were like nine. That's so awesome. I love that. 37. 
but maybe edit that part out. <laughs> I think that's very, very special. Yeah. Very special. So, yeah. yeah. And I know it's because, you know, you, you're, you're a great friend and that takes trust and a relationship. I, I, yes. Yeah. We could do a whole podcast just on what it takes to be a great friend and have great friends. And it is about trust and effort and forgiveness and not demanding that people be everything you want and need them to be in that moment (laughs) for a different day. But yeah. Sounds like it also kind of leads into leadership as well, because it's, there's some similar similarities there. I know like for me, I, I feel that way about the people that I've worked with. They're like, they're family to me. Uh, But I feel that way about my clients too. You know, I remember years ago when I was the director at uh, UConn, I gave a speech to a bunch of association executives. And, you know, in the speech, I talked about how you have to love your members. You have to love your industry. You have to love them. Otherwise, you you shouldn't be there. Yes, I I think well for, I hope that your the people listening know the unique history I guess you and I have or the full circle because you were the first female right I think you were the first female in the United States yeah right to run a trade association and it was my <laughs> my trade association it's United Contractors and Mark our CEO who has been the CEO for north of thirty five years now worked for you, right? Yes, he did. And he was 25. So, <laughs> and I've been at United. Right. He's been CEO since he was 25. His entire, basically his adult life has been spent with United yeah, Contractors. He's awesome. I've been here 12 years working with Mark, for and with Mark. And I think the impact that you had, I know that the impact you had as executive director or CEO of the organization at the time had an impact on him and it has, you know, which has had an impact on me. And I hear him say things, you know, he'll say, well, you know, Sue, when I was 25, gave me this advice. One of of the pieces is defer to the collective wisdom of your board. And 35, 36 years later, I mean, that's his religion and that's our religion as an organization. So the impact that you had, the impact that a leader can have on an organization, I mean, is pretty remarkable, but I get to still see it today. And so I love it because I hear you say things and I am like, Mark still says that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I do believe there, I would trust my life to that. There's a collective wisdom in your team at work, in your board, in your construction project team. I mean, there is a collective wisdom and you can just take it to the bank. I just, you can't. Well, and it is, it's, 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 it's a hundred percent based on trust because you can't sometimes defer to collective wisdom and sometimes not, it doesn't work that way. You either have to believe that that is, that that works or it doesn't. And you just, you know, think you're always right or something like that. But it's, it's, um it's part of, I would say good governance and deferring to the collective wisdom of the group those are two pieces of our organization that are religion. We, we, we yes. don't, we do not go off course from those two things, even when it just requires blind trust. You go, okay, here we go. Well, you can believe in the collective. You can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so awesome. I, I see it in the industry too, because there is a level of trust in Yukon uh, across the country and, and certainly uh, within California, where you guys have more penetration that just doesn't exist in most organizations, certainly not nonprofits. And yeah. with that trust, you can do a lot in the industry that could not be, could not happen otherwise. Oh, we ask people all the time, what is it about the organization that you that you love? Or because people have a choice. They can belong to no association, but for the most part, they, you know, have a choice between what organization they want to belong to for their labor relations, for their services, for, you know, they can belong to one, they can belong to all of them. So why us? And I mean, almost always when they've been with us uh, a certain period of time, it's that we operate like a family. And to your earlier point, we genuinely love, we have a, a genuine love for our members and our team members inside of United Contractors. You just won't make it inside of our organization if you can get on board with that. Like you have to love our members and just be delighted and excited about helping them every day mm-hmm. in little and big, big ways. And so we just have such a dynamic team of people from all different backgrounds, but everybody, you know, we're really passionate about helping our contractors and their teams. And as a result of that, our contractors really trust us. Our members really trust us because they feel that we we are there to help them and that we love to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, one of the values in my book too, when I talk about partnering values is one of them is caring and caring can't be faked. People no. see through that in a, in, a, in a nanosecond. No, it's. I think it's part of the human condition is to be able to uh, sift out who's faking <laughs> care and sincerity and who who isn't. Uh, you know, who's genuine about it. We all. I think we all are just wired to be able to feel that out pretty quickly. So I agree with you. You you cannot fake care. Yeah. And you can't fake helping somebody either. They'll figure it out. Either you are there, you either you're really helping them out or you aren't. Yeah. You're there for them when they need you. Yeah. 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 And maybe you're there for them even when they didn't know they needed you. Even, even more importantly, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's you just, right. I really, it does. You just have to love your love, your people that you serve. And if you don't, you're really in the wrong place. Yeah. It's a, this is a service oriented industry. I mean, what we're doing, um, is that, I mean, that's why we exist to serve and support them and empower them, educate them, advocate for them. But all of that is it's for them. That's our product helping them. Yeah. Now I know that you are uh, so good at what you do and, uh, and may, so tell everybody a little bit about your background and so that we can kind of lead into some of the public things you've done, which are kind of pretty miraculous in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, I want people to understand more of what you do. Sure. Um, well, I came to United Contractors 12 years ago, so I've spent the majority of my career with the organization, um, Before I was with United Contractors, I was a legislative aide. I was in the Assembly Fellowship Program in uh, this uh, state capital here in California, uh, up in Sacramento, Uh, worked for the chairman of the Assembly Appropriations Committee, and then um, got hired on by 
United contractors. And I thought they were just insane to hire me to, you know, you talking about trust. I thought Mark was outside of his mind to hire me. I was 24 years old. I basically had no relevant experience and, but he <laughs> kind of a funny story when he uh, interviewed me, I didn't think there was any chance I was going to get the job. And so I thought, well, you know, screw it. I'll just go in and chalk it up to experience, interview experience. And he said to me, he comes out and he says, why do you work in politics? I hate politics. You know, I don't understand anybody that likes it. And I'm like, oh God, this guy. And so I just looked at him and I said, well, I'm an overworked, underpaid legislative aide. And I hear from people like you every day that think they're too good for politics. But the way it works is you either have a seat at the table or you don't. And I work for the chairman of the Assembly Appropriations Committee. And I've never heard of your organization before. How's that working out for you guys? And he <laughs> leaned, put his hands behind his head and leaned back in his big CEO chair. And he said, well, Emily, nobody's ever said that to me before. <laughs> That's awesome. 12 years later, you know, here I am, executive vice president. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was, it, you know, the truth, the truth is the truth. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, but you have done so much for the industry. You know, it just, I, I see it all the time everywhere. And uh, let's pick one instance that we can kind of walk through because I think there's definitely some leadership lessons learned here because yeah. it's so large, it's so complex and it's political. Yeah. And a lot of times I always say common sense isn't common in a political arena. So, Amen. Uh, you know, let's talk about one of these examples of where you have really created a coalition and be able to do something that people thought was impossible. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think our the greatest example of this, especially especially when it comes to trust, was our industry effort to secure uh, $5.5 billion a year in California for primarily road, bridge, and highway infrastructure maintenance funding uh, forever. And uh, it was something that it's called SB1, Senate Bill 1, the Road Repair and Accountability Act of 2017, I think. And that was something that when I came into this industry, you know, of course, people are talking about uh, we're underfunded, we're chronically underfunded, deferred maintenance, it becomes more and more expensive every year. And um, for years, I heard people talking about this, but we couldn't get any momentum. And finally, uh, I, I'm called to a meeting. The CEO of one of our one of the largest heavy civil construction firms in America, and he calls me down, and he's got his whole team there, and he, I mean, it's just it's just slightly intimidating, and he says, "We need to get something done in this space. We need funding for our industry. We need funding for California's transportation infrastructure. And what are we going to do?" And I said, well, we're not doing this alone. I'm going to tell you how difficult this is going to be. Uh, and we need our labor support. You know, our union partners have to be in this. Uh, we're going to need the support of the safety community. This is going to be the biggest lift that our industry has ever undertaken together in the state of California. And there's still no guarantee it's going to happen. And it's going to take a lot of money. And you know, we have this interesting conversation 
I talk about conceptually how I think we might be able to do something like this. And I say to him, I'm going to go back to my office. I'm going to draw up a plan and I'm going to send it to you. Tell me what you think. And I go back to my office. This is the biggest infrastructure funding lift and one of the most challenging things our industry has ever tried to do and that we were able to do. I drew it up on a piece of paper, one piece of paper in boxes. Okay. That's like strategy is not that hard. It's mostly (laughs) visual. It's the execution of it that's hard. It was one piece of paper with boxes and names. But from there, we were off to the races. But the foundation of that was relationships and trust. Because uh, when we were able to get this bill passed because of the incredible leadership of, at the time, the leader of the Senate, the leader of the Assembly, and our governor, uh, Governor Jerry Brown at the time, we got that bill passed with no votes to spare. So if we had lost a single vote, we would not have secured five and a half billion dollars a year forever for transportation infrastructure in California. Right when that bill passed, almost immediately, there was an effort uh, by a special interest group to recall it. And so right after we had crossed this remarkable and historic finish line, we had to fight a ballot measure, statewide ballot measure. It cost about $40 million. And I'm, I'm covering three years of work here in you know 10 minutes, but it cost about $40 million. And to have to pick up the phone and call our contractors and say, hey, you know the biggest win that we've ever had that we just got done celebrating? You know, put the cork back in the champagne bottle. We have work to do. And we um, spent the next year working together as a remarkable coalition of labor and management and safety to defeat this measure. And we did. We defeated it handedly by over 10 points. But uh, it took advocacy from the governor, from our industry, um, you know, a huge, a, a, a spectacular coalition to to defeat it. And and we did. And that was um, an even prouder moment for me. But that required relationships and trust. When somebody writes you a $100,000 check, a $50,000 check, a $10,000, when somebody gives you their money because you call and you ask them for it, you say, hey, Joe, I need to defeat this measure. It's going to take X millions and millions of dollars um, would you contribute to that? Oh, sure, Emily, what do you need? Uh, I need you to write a check for $100,000. And they say, okay, okay, I'm going to do that. I mean, I can't tell you, even today, I think about that. There, That level of trust they had in me and in uh, the leadership of the coalition, which was certainly not me, it was a much broader group of leaders, um, but including me. I think about that to this day, how important that is to not let them down. You know, there's no guarantee we were going to be able to defeat this measure. But what I could guarantee them is that we were going to do everything in our power and give it everything I personally had to make sure we could defeat it. And just, I take it so seriously that our members 
give us money, their money, their hard-earned money out of complete trust. They didn't, nobody asked me for a lot of information. Nobody said, send me all the information. Send me your plan. Send me your strategy. Send me something. They all just said, here you go. Go get them. And that, um, that didn't come overnight. You know, a lot of things had to come together for this to work. But one of the things, one of the essential components of it was that it was built on a foundation of trust that took years. You know, I know these people and they know me and they trust me and I trust them. And that that is not something you can build overnight. So I think that, you know, having those genuine relationships, demonstrating that you are trustworthy, a person of your word, that you do what you say you're going to do, that you have genuine intentions, that stuff, that takes years and a consistency that you can never waver from. Yeah, I think that's so profound and that you care. Yes. And that they well, know yes, that you care. That's, um, yeah. yeah, that's built into the cake. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, you do this on small ways and big ways uh, in lots of different arenas. And I just think that, you know, most construction leaders, especially in public works constructions, but even in private work, you have to deal with the public entities. Mm-hmm. They all, you know, they all have an impact on your project or how you run your business or how, what you're able to do with your business. So you got any advice for them on how they could maybe improve how they deal with the public entities? Oh boy. I think it's a naturally adversarial or it's, I don't want to say adversarial. I think there's some elements of it that are just naturally adversarial, but what it is, is it's an incredibly competitive industry and the people that it's it's competitive and it's entrepreneurial. So it's just really I I love um I love this industry and I love the people in this industry because they're so fascinating in that way. They're kind of salt of the earth, but true entrepreneurs who are competitive and every day are taking risks. You know, there I don't know of any other industry where you have to put your house up in order to you know do your job, right? And 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 and, I, and every job. Them. Every job, every job they're putting their life on the, not their literal life, you know, they're putting their home on the home, literally all their assets. And so you have to be somebody that likes to take risks and kind of thrives in that space to, to thrive in this industry. So, you know, doing public works, you're, it's a lot of bureaucracy, it's taxpayer dollars. And so this, you know, public has the uh, public agencies have a responsibility. And so it's, um, you know, you're often, it's, it's difficult, but you know, what advice would I give? Build relationships, build really, it can be done. And the people that I see, the leaders of construction companies that I see really succeed in this space are the people that are willing to take the time and care to build relationships with the folks that they're working with on the public agency side. And they also empower their teams to build relationships. It's a top-down, bottom-up thing that's happening all at the same time. And somebody, I always say, somebody has to be willing to go first. 
So if they're a real pain in the ass, if they're being very difficult, if they're adversarial, you know, I always say, well, be the one to go first, you know, be the one to forgive them for being difficult and try another way, try to work it out with them, own your mistakes, own maybe where you've been wrong or where there could be improvement and see if that breaks down the barrier, you know, just give it a try. And, and I think that that can, that can really, really help. I, I kind of hone out of there that it's about building a relationship. If you just even focus on that, you're you're building a relationship, not a transaction. Yes. When you know, when you know somebody personally, or when you feel like you know them personally, it's hard to just tell them to, you know, F off. When you, when they, when, you know, when you kind of know that they have two kids and one's in college and one's over here and they love soccer and their wife's name is so-and-so and, and, you know, nobody wants to, uh, nobody wants to let that person down. And I just don't think we're built that way. No matter how competitive, no matter how adversarial we are, I just don't think human beings, we're actually built for connection and we're built for care. No matter how competitive of a space we're in, I just think we're far more built to work together than we are uh, apart. Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudico.com slash profile. That's S-U- dyco.com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance, and it really depends on you. Now back to the show. I do think that what happens when you have public sector folk is that uh, a couple things. One is that they are taught to fear Mm -hmm. and maybe they see their role as protecting because of Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. So, you know, the only way to kind of penetrate that is to realize you don't have anything to protect against here. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to just have a dialogue, a conversation to explore what's possible, to understand each other. Then you you come into a very different kind of place where you can maybe explore what, what could work and what can't work. I think it, that it's um, the very first thing that you said there, which is remember where they're coming from. They're not coming from where you're coming from. And they have had different experiences and we're all shaped by our experiences. And if you have spent your career in the public sector, you definitely have, are not coming from a space where you're encouraged to take risks, <laughs> you know, quite the opposite. Now, if you're a construction owner or you work at a construction company, 
like heavy civil, you exist by taking risks. You succeed only by taking risks. So you put these two together and you're both coming from different places and you have to first acknowledge that or you're not going to get anywhere. And you have to appreciate where the other person's coming from. You know, you have to start, you have to start there or else you're you're never going to get anywhere. That seems like really great advice. Yeah. I see when too, like on a project, when you're a public project, people don't understand, they don't get that the owner has the power. Mm, yeah. And and so you have to realize that there is a power imbalance and there's always going to be a power imbalance. The owner has the project. They have the need for the project. They have the funding for the project. They decide the delivery method for the project. They decide how much money they're going to spend, who they're going to select, and what decisions are going to be made by when, by whom. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're, they're the ones with the power. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really why I'm a huge fan of partnering is because if you look at a basketball team or, or any kind of team, really, the ones that have a star well, you know, they win because that star's there, but they usually don't win as well as if you have a team of where everybody is working together synergistically. Everyone's building on their strengths. And that's the same thing with a construction project. If you get everyone working together, then you can, do, but in order to do that, you have to neutralize the power imbalance. Yes. So that everyone can be one team. And what kills construction projects is complexity. Mm. And when you become one team, it not only does it neutralize the power imbalance, which is another level of complexity, it melts away much of the complexity. Yes, I think um, understanding, you know, I, I, I always joke because we, we do a lot, you know, political advocacy, labor relations, there's all, all kinds of scenarios where I always say, who holds the marbles? You have to know going into the situation, you can't negotiate on with in labor relations you can't negotiate politically on a bill you can't unless you understand the power dynamic going into it uh, otherwise you can just look r- ridiculous it's so much smarter to understand to take the time to thoughtfully understand the power dynamic and by the way that's not just for the person who doesn't hold the marbles that's for the person who does so i think any leader you know, of a company, of any kind of company, but including own, uh, public works, you know, agency leaders and those owners in that space, you have to know and reflect on the fact that you hold the power and think about how you can use that in the right way. Because you can be a jerk about it and just use it to hammer people and just to treat everybody like a nail, but you can also use it effectively, which is to be really self aware of the fact that you hold power as the manager, as the leader, what as the CEO, whatever it is. And how do you want to use that to actually meet the mission and to bring people together? I think when you're the when you're the person with the power, you have to make sure that you're taking the time to listen to people who may not be as willing or eager to speak up knowing that you hold the power. You know, you have to go out of your way to listen to those people, to encourage them um, to speak up. You have to know when to hold back because you're, you know, just saying, let's do this. People might just defer to that. And to quote a very wise woman, Sue Dyer, you have to defer to the collective wisdom of the group. And that is even when you're the person in charge, that doesn't mean you have the best idea. 
It's especially when you're the person in charge. <laughs> right. Exclusively when you're the person in charge. <laughs> yeah. That kind of reminds me of how when you talked about they got to do what's right. And for me, right has always been what is right for everyone concerned. Uh, because what I found is the way, even if you don't have authentic power, if you are always looking to do what's right for everyone involved, people give you their power and help you. (laughs) Yes. Oh yes. That is so that has been, um, a a secret to my career or the success that I've had in it has been that I think people see that I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm not trying to do what's right for me. I'm trying to do the right thing for our members and even for the industry as a whole, which is a level up. And when people see that, it makes all the difference. And you're right. People want to help you help them. (laughs) And when you are seen as somebody that is fair and reasonable and is trying to do the right thing genuinely, people will move mountains for you. People will move mountains for you. And I wish that more people could see that and experience that because it's so powerful. It's so powerful to have people work so hard to help you achieve something because they believe that you are in it for the right reasons and that ultimately it will help them. Absolutely. And it's even people that you might think or other people might think are your enemies you need to do what's right and just and good for them, just like you need to do it for yourself or for your members or for your company. Right. Uh, when you do that, amazing things happen. And it happens pretty quickly, too, because all the power sort of shifts to you to be able to do what's needed. Right, right. And they're not, um, they're almost never your enemy, right? What they are is somebody that, uh, that maybe they're your competitor or they're somebody that you don't understand and they don't understand you. Well, it always comes down to that. But yeah, some people yeah. don't see it that way. They see Right, it like, that's yeah. right. I know. You're, I you're know. my enemy and I'm going to kill you. I know. I always yeah. wish I could unwind that. <laughs> not, even, not only in our industry, but, you know, in life. across Everywhere the people have their people that, you know, for some reason they're their nemesis or something. Mm-hmm. Everyone oh, yeah. has that. I mean, I, I don't, don't think anybody escapes that. I, so. don't, think, I don't think we can. <laughs> I do. I also see that, I watched as leaders, really good leaders, trusted leaders, uh, are in a an organization, and as they begin to raise up the ladder of success, mm-hmm. I'm always amazed at how they know less and less about what's really going on, because people don't tell them. And I just think that that is one of the things that everyone out there, when you tell your leader the, your truth. They, they can't possibly lead and help you and steer the business, steer the, the government entity, steer a project if they don't know what's going on. And I just see that as a big problem. I think that that's, that is so true. And probably the higher and higher up you go. And, you know, this is an interesting industry because quite a few people are the CEOs of, of huge construction companies and they started there. And they worked their way up within their company. So they know a lot, right? They do. But at the higher up you go, you're right. People start giving you less and less information 
And I think people do it out of a good, good intentions. Maybe they're trying to protect the boss or, or whatever. But I do think you have to be more conscious as a leader, the higher up you go, to be more and more transparent and to have a, an open door policy, so to speak, so that people feel like they can really come talk to you and approach you um, with not just problems, but solutions. Opportunities too. Yeah. Opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Opportunities. Yeah. I, I agree completely. That That is what I kind of excites me about creating trusted leadership where maybe there's a forum or a way, some kind of forum for creating that dialogue that can happen up and down throughout any organization so that you have that collective wisdom right. that you can use for your business. And I just think, you know, I, you know, I believe in that. So I, that's what I'm excited about trying to help businesses to create mm-hmm. with culture. their leaders. Yeah, I think that's is. the business culture you create is, it is. I sometimes think leaders think they're doing a good thing. And I, I understand the, the natural inclination to kind of build a fence around yourself as you, and just keep your, your trusted team around you. But when you build that fence, you're, you're protecting yourself from, you know, some noise, but ultimately you're not letting in potential opportunities, new ideas, uh, you know, innovative solutions. So you, you have to build that culture that uh, feels transparent and uh, where your team members from the bottom up feel like they belong. And feel yeah. like they're part of the solutions. Yeah, that high trust culture, because without cohesion, you don't get any momentum. So without that, mm-hmm. you know, in in my trusted leader model, uh, the primary role of a leader is to create the high trust culture. That is their primary role. Yes. Everything else is secondary to that. And if you do that, you will be amazed at what will happen. You'll be able to have people feel like they belong. You'll have people feel like they are uh, a team and they're committed and they're cohesive and they're innovative. Uh, and then they create things that are pretty remarkable. And right. allows you to, as right. a business or a, a company or an organization to do things that are pretty remarkable. Absolutely. I think a leader's job is to, um, a great leader knows that their job is not to be the expert in everything and to have all the answers. Their job is to build a great team and empower those people to do their job really, really well. Yeah. And support them. Mm-hmm. Support them. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here and uh, any last words of wisdom to construction leaders on anything they can do to create that kind of environment that you see in the industry, the need for? Well, I my words of wisdom to them. I should get words of wisdom from them, but um, I think that we are at a crossroads right now as an industry. A lot of industries are, but particularly ours around recruiting, retaining, and developing the next generation of industry leaders. We need, uh, I think we're past the point of small incremental changes, and we need big, bold changes to do a better job of recruiting a a more diverse cross-section of people into this industry. The time has come. We have hit the ceiling. Uh, We will not be able to meet the needs of this state or country as far as building infrastructure if we cannot get a talented workforce uh, in the right numbers into our industry. So we have to start making some changes together 
and I will uh, plug United Contractors for that. We have uh, we have made it our mission to offer professional and leadership development courses. Uh, we offer 75 different courses this year alone, including kind of industry-tailored executive leadership development programs. Um, and we always say it's leadership uh, at every level. So we are really trying to meet this moment for our members and give them the resources and tools they need to help recruit, retain, and develop their next generation of industry leaders. And I hope you'll come back and we can talk more about that because that's uh, close to my heart too. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Sue. And I will come back anytime, anything for you. How do people get a hold of you? I am on LinkedIn, so they can find me on LinkedIn. And then I also have a personally, um, I'm at ehccontent.com, which is a, my, I do a writing and storytelling communication strategies on the side for um, different businesses and individuals. And so that's a place you can find me as well. And I'll put both of those in the show notes here. And I bet that most of the contractors in the state of California listening today have my cell phone number too. <laughs> <laughs> They know where to find me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Emily. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Sue. Right back at you. You're doing amazing things. I'm proud of you. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.